Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So Mary Harrington is back and she's written a very interesting piece. Actually, she's also got a very interesting book I just got to read here, uh, got uh, done uh, recently. It's Feminism Against Progress. And uh, don't freak out just because it has the word feminism, feminism in it. I think a lot of people will find it very interesting look at kind of our modern world and what is going on. But Mary, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So you had a very interesting piece about the devouring mother on your Substack this week. And I want to get into that because I think, as you pointed out to me, it ties in very well with the idea of the total state and kind of how our hypervigilant culture, our massified uh, culture is working to kind of uh, even from a very young age, from from the age of infants, uh, normalize people to this idea of the overbearing state. But before we jump into that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. All right, guys, I need to talk to you about today's sponsor, Noble Gold. Now, you may have noticed that things are a little unstable out there, and you might be looking for something that can protect your investments. You can reign in wealth like King Charles with a gold IRA from Noble Gold Investments. Just as King Charles' magnificent crown symbolized wealth and power, a gold IRA can fortify your own financial kingdom. Imagine the confidence that comes from a retirement backed by a tangible proven asset, gold. An asset that's not at the mercy of unpredictable market swings. A crown may not be included, but isn't a future free of financial stress a worthy throne? Like royalty, enjoy the luxury of choice. Gold, silver, platinum, or palladium, the realm is yours to command. Fend off concerns about economic downturns and let your wealth thrive with the timeless security of precious metals. This month, the first solid quarter-ounce gold standard bullion coin ever issued with Charles III's image can be yours with your own qualified gold IRA or 401k rollover of $50,000 or higher. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. Call Noble Gold Investment at 877-646-5347 to get started or visit McIntyreGold.com. That's McIntyreGold.com. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump into it. So like I said, Mary had a very interesting piece that kind of dovetails with her book, uh, Feminism Against Prospect uh, or Against Progress. Uh, but she was talking about how the devouring mother is something that is really impacting the way people interact with the surveillance state, that kind of the tendency of our uh, next generation to be okay with a large amount of state surveillance is tied to the way that we now rear children. So Mary, could you kind of lay out that argument a little bit? Sure. My, my sense is often, Oren, you and I are looking at the same phenomena, but from opposite ends of the telescope. And this is definitely one of those. Um, so my, my hypothesis is that, well, I mean, I'll come at it from another angle. It's a, it's an old, it's a classic left-wing critique of education in the conventional sense that what it's that the lesson it teaches is not just the content that's being delivered, but also the manner of the environment that it that it habituates young people to. And the, I mean, the, the classic left-wing critique of regimented Victorian-style education is that it's, it's, it's intentionally forming the masses to work in the factories, the regime of bells, the regime of punctuality, um, the, the rote learning of, you know, the habituation to repetitive tasks and, and uh, of, of a mundane nature. Um, and the idea is that we're, we should find we should find a mode of education which isn't just norming people for for the factories. Now, if you and and, and I guess I, I I sort of took that. I mean, so let's let's set aside the critique of uh, industrial society because that's not where we are anymore. <laughs> um, but but if you if you look at uh, if you look at a a conventional third party childcare setting with the same with this through the same lens, you've got to ask yourself what in what what what, what is the environment teaching. Right. Now, to be clear, I've used third party childcare. I have, I have one child who's six now, but she spent some time, uh, a, a measured and manageable amount of time in, in preschools and third party childcare settings. Um, and, and I've also spent some time as a stay at home mum. I've done I've done both of these things and I've done my best to try and to find a, a balance of these things. Um, and but one of the things that that experience left me with just it was the some structural contrasts between the kind of care, or the, the the kind of environment, the, the environmental lessons, if you like, of third-party childcare compared to the environmental lessons that you pick up if you're if you're in the care of of a parent. 
or somebody somebody with more direct responsibility for you. And one of and, and uh, the thing that really started me thinking about this was the aesthetics of the bump note, um, which is, I, I don't know if you have kids, um, but if you if you have kids, every time every time they 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 have a minor injury or a minor accident at school or nursery or anywhere like that, they'll come home with a there's a, there's an entire bureaucracy. That, that that emerges around around the bump. So you'll what what I, I mean I don't know what it's like in the United States, but you know in the settings that that my daughter's been in, that that tends to be it's a, it's a flimsy sort of roughly <laughs> that that's been filled out in triplicate. You can tell because it's you you've got one of the duplicates or the triplicates or whatever that and and a copy has gone into a ledger somewhere else, and the and and it will report the time of the incident, the nature of the incident. And there's a whole bureaucracy of the bump note. And what what I came to realize is that the bump note also has it, it has an emotional currency as well. Um, you come home with a bump note. The bump note is produced from the bag, and then the, you relive the incident again, and it, and it and it and and some of the emotional weight of falling over and crying, and you're comforted by your parents all over again. And there's also an emotional currency of the bump note amongst kids as well. Um, so there's this entire elaborate bureaucracy of of minor accidents of the sort which, and I was thinking, well, this is odd because I mean most of these are recounting the kind of incident where if my if if my daughter was in my care. When when something like that happened, I'd be just like, oh dear, never mind, kiss better, and distracted with do, and we we go off and do something else. So it would just be like nothing, nothing really happened. Yeah, and it's not like you know if we if we were all sitting around the dinner table at the end of the day, she would then report with great fanfare that she'd fallen over and grazed her knee because I mean whatever it happens, and and nobody cares. <laughs> Well, you know, mummy go for a kiss better, and then and then the, the day went on, kind of no comment. And so I was thinking, what what happens then when you scale that up? Um, well, there are, there are two things that happen. Firstly, um, for, firstly, you, ha you have a whole bunch of parents who, for completely well-meaning and loving reasons, um, will will allow their kids to take risks in their own care. And this is this is true of me for sure. Um, I would let I would have let in my own in, you know when when in my care I'd let a three-year-old walk along a wall next to me without holding my hand and just and 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 enjoy letting her take that risk and feel feel crazy and adventurous even though it's like eighteen inches off the ground. But you know. Um, but but if you know, a, 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 in, in a childcare setting, there's absolutely no way that that the that the person in charge of my child would have would have permitted her to take that risk, and I probably would have been kind of annoyed with her if she had, and she'd then come home with a bump note. Um, I'd be like, why why are you letting my why why are you why are you treating why are you care why are you watching my child this recklessly? So so and when when you scale that up and you scale up the, the the drama and the dynamics and the emotional currency of the bump note, which is you know the the bureaucracy of injury, if you like, and you also scale up the the muted risk taking, um, and then you think about the proportion. I, I believe it's something that seventy five percent of British mothers with dependent children now work at least some of the time. I don't know what the statistics are, and I think it's a bit lower in the USA. It's fifty or sixty percent there thereabouts. I, I forget the most recent numbers but it's it's a it's a more than half in any case and some of these some of these resume work very barbarically soon after their babies are born some some are back at work after only two weeks and essentially their babies grow up entirely in these sort of three third-party childcare settings and you're thinking and, and i mean quite aside from the uh the, the attachment dynamic of, of third-party childcare, just the bureau the bureaucratization of safety and the the the, the well, and the norms that this inculcates from the very earliest age about your, your about what care means and what care looks like i think are radically different to the kind of experience the kind and the kind of norms which are inculcated in an intimate family setting even with grandparents and and really and, and my and, and so my my thesis um, which i've i've expanded a bit more more lengthily in the book, but kind of con con compacted for this article, um, is that if you if you raise one, two, three generations in that sort of third party environment, they they are going they're going to assume that what care looks like is something much more impersonal, much more risk averse, much more safety oriented, and and much more frankly totalitarian because there's no way out of it. You know, this is an environment which is entirely focused on minimizing risk, maximizing the orientation on them, and ensuring their comfort at all times, including refereeing any interpersonal quarrels. And then you think, well, funnily enough, around twenty years years after after the mass entry of little children into daycare we find a generation reaching university which is hyper which is which is begging for greater authoritarianism is pleading for more of a focus on safety and is demanding greater greater adult intervention in their interpersonal disputes and, and experiences of discomfort and you're thinking where could this possibly come from i don't know maybe you've got some ideas 
No, I think this is really important because a lot of us look at this kind of macro political situation. We look at the big picture, but we don't think about kind of these small, close to the ground developmental things that can have a huge shift in impact. Everyone's worried about, you know, is it going to be Trump or DeSantis? Are we going to have this policy or that policy? But we don't think about how these pretty life altering changes in things like childcare can completely condition the population. And having been on, I've seen this from both sides. You know, I've, I've taught uh, public school in the United States and I've had a little guy at home. And so I see, you know, how, how this works. We don't have bump notes, uh, but that, that's a, that's a new con concept for me in America. But of course we do, we do have kind of a similar, well, if, you know, the, the child is injured, th then there's a whole kind of bureaucracy you have to go through. You have to, you have to take them to the nurse that has to be, uh, you know, paperwork filed. The, the parent has to be notified. Uh, the, the teacher has to be worried about the, uh, whatever that student was involved in kind of during that, uh, that incident. And so that means that there's a, a real shift away from any contact between children that could cause injury. So, you know, uh, little guy wants to go to you know outside ride his bike he wants to go to the skate park he wants to do those things i'm fine with that because i know you know we have the situation under control we can assume the risks that's something that's not going to be a huge deal if he falls down scrapes his leg you know whatever he can kind of have that autonomy and it's not a big deal but at school you have to be very careful about the type of interactions that happen. And what happens is very interestingly, along with that risk avoidance you're talking about, we also get a feminization of these spaces, I believe, because a lot of those more uh, adolescent male activities are gonna be more physical, they're gonna be more kinetic, they're gonna involve a more rough and tumble, not that you know girls don't get involved in that stuff too, but I think this particularly has a shift in the way that the classroom or the socialization is allowed to kind of occur because feminine activities tend to be a little less uh, risky, tend to be a little less physical in this way. The way that that social dynamic de uh, develops is a little less likely to produce the, the bump note in, in as opposed to uh, kind this of... This makes me think of the conversations I've, I've... I, I enjoy amongst friends who have girl toddlers as opposed to boy toddlers. Um, on the one hand, you you hear, oh, you know, she's just so sweet and she wants to hang out and like play play tea sets or whatever. And and I'm and I'm sorry, but like the, the, these things just happen. It's not like it's not like anybody's inculcating patriarchal stereotypes. It's literally just they, they're really different. And boy, mom, meanwhile, is like, oh my god, he stuck his finger in the in in my right. treadmill. <laughs> literally like i switched it on and turned my back for two seconds and he already got his fingers in and then it was four hours in a and e just hashtag fml he's done it you know, literally that's the fourth time he's tried to kill himself today and he's two and a half what do i do please somebody pray for me and and, the, and you can you can see how uh, i mean if and this is the, the, this is mums who who are with or there or with their toddlers and you can see how you know once you once you abstract that to a third party setting where these calculuses of insurance and liability and angry parents and risk taking and licensing and yada 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 all obtain that you know you just have to sit very hard on the, the the little boys who are kinetic like that. I mean, not all of them are, but a whole a lot of them just really are. And you basically have to sit on their heads all day um, to just stop them stop them doing anything that would get you sued. Um, yeah, there, you there's know, a yeah. I was, there's a I was whole... just I was just gonna say there's a there's a very real dynamic in those settings where like teachers actively avoid having classrooms with too many boys in them because they just know that boys are less you know likely to to condition themselves this way immediately and so they kind of go out of their way to affect the mix or avoid those and so again i just think that has a very uh, significant impact on the on the way that these developmental spaces get shaped uh, with that risk avoidance that you're talking about yeah absolutely and i think it's completely wrong-headed i mean going back to the campus thing i think it, you periodically you hear the the kind of anti-woke classical liberal type i'm sure i'm sure you know you know that that kind of spectrum of voices who'll say oh you know it's another you know madness intensifies you know here comes is an, another another bunch of woke administrators who are in inculcating young people in 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 this this insane safetyism you know when, when when will when will this madness end? You know, and I'm like, this isn't coming from the administrator. I mean, maybe it's some some of it's coming from the administrators now, but it's not coming from the academics. It really isn't. You know, the demand is coming from the bottom up. 
and 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 actually you know the the norms that that drive that demand um, originate in young in kids lives much 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 earlier and i think you can trace it all the way back to, to even preschool in infant daycare because that 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 paradigm of child child focused safety anxious um management and you know interpersonal refereeing is there all the way from preschool and and once once you see it in preschool then it's very hard to unsee it in the demand that young people have um the demands that are led by young people for a continuation of that dynamic into into the university setting i remember there was one you i'm sure you remember all the evergreen footage of the this is the mm. first first kind of eruption into consciousness of the of, of you know, the kids going crazy in this way and then there was one very obviously very disreg very distressed and dysregulated young woman who was saying this is meant to be a home and i was thinking what does home mean for her such that it involves no risk and maximum management of everybody's feelings and eventually it hit me that that for her home actually meant uh, daycare because that was, she, she, chances were, I mean, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to, I'm, I'm sure somebody could figure out, track her down and ask her. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of double income families who, who, who have, who have, where everybody has to work in order to afford to send their kids to college. You know, is it, is it any wonder that they grow up assuming that home looks a bit like daycare and, and involves the same level of interpersonal risk management and refereeing as a daycare? There's also an interesting kind of class dynamic here in that, well, uh, like you said, a majority of homes now have two parents needing to work to to kind of make ends meet. The more affluent parents or the or even the more middle income in, income parents will put their children in daycare. The lower income parents will actually often just leave their children to their own devices or have uh, older children care for the younger children uh, in this way. And so interestingly, it is the kind of it is kind of this middle class and middle up and, and or the aspirational class that is more likely to put their children into these over socialization situations. Yeah. They'll you'll you'll see, you know, a, a 10 year old, you know, who's in a in a lower class uh, area will be more than used to walking themselves down to the corner market, picking things up for the family uh, you know, occupying themselves outside for hours on end, like many of us did. You know, when I was a kid, I was riding my bike halfway across uh, town to 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 go to a store, that kind of thing that I wanted to go to. That was that was considered very normal. And uh, you know, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Uh, and, and now, if you have a ten year old out riding their bike alone more than a mile from the house, you're you know they're going to be calling child protective services on you. If you're in a middle you class, yeah, a in a middle class sure. neighborhood, if you're in a low class neighborhood, they won't even think of it twice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't. Know, there, are, there are times when I wonder. You know, you, periodically you see these foot, these clips of footage going around. You know, teenagers going nuts in McDonald's. You, you know the genre. Um, you know where there's just some some completely kind of they're just full on like you know multi person chaotic chimp out occurring in a fast food joint and you you see these periodically and so sometimes I wonder whether in fact what we're looking at there is a similar phenomenon um, just in a different class key to the one to the chimp outs you get in expensive in expensive Ivy League colleges over safety and hope they 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 it suggests the same sort of dysregulated relationship to um, to, to to the kind of wider social setting, and yeah, and then there have been times there have, there have been times when I wondered how many how many of the kids who are going bananas in McDonald's are just the ones who who were parked in substandard childcare from the age of two weeks old and are just incredibly messed up because they they never had somebody pick them up when they were screaming, or really pay any attention to them at all because they've just been warehoused in little rows. Um, I mean, it messed up the Romanian orphans under Ceausescu. And, and you've got you've got to wonder what, what effect that has at scale on the working class, who are most who are the ones most likely to be to be having to go back to work and have absolutely no financial cushion, such as to be able to take any time off, or or really to have any the kind of job that comes with any maternity benefits. I mean, I've, I feel I feel blessed to live in a country where there is at least a statutory minimum on that front. But I mean, I, I'm aware that Americans don't really see it in quite the same way. Yeah, I think there are there are some consequences to that, perhaps. Yeah, I think it's something that especially those who think of themselves as socially conservative need to start really reconsidering. I understand the concern about, uh, you know, government intervention in these things. But if you if your formulation is I want stronger families, I want people to be able to form families. But you're also not thinking about how to create an environment where women can care for their children directly and provide the kind of, uh, you know, the, the kind of bond that only the, the mother can form. 
I think that you're you're putting your priorities in the wrong place. Yeah, I think there's some there's some justice to the jibe you hear sometimes from feminists who say that it's it's all very well insisting on insisting on caring for the unborn, but you know you you could maybe spare a thought for the born now and again as well. Sure, and uh, yeah, I'm with you there. It's just sadly once uh, once they do, I don't think uh, a lot changes. But it's nonetheless, it is something that many on the right need to need to think about. So I had considered the first part that you were talking about with the childcare and why that impacts people to be, uh, you know, kind of uh, more conducive to the overwhelming state because that's something again that I had directly experienced uh, with with my time teaching. But the second one that you brought up, which I thought was pretty interesting that I had really considered a whole lot was the kind of the digital native, the uh, the generation that has been brought up inside kind of the constant contact, the Internet and the relationship they have with kind of their personal information. Many, especially as the Internet was kind of getting onboarded, were more than happy to hand over large amounts of personal information and data to companies because it had just never really been collected that way before. It, it just had never been this this panopticon of uh, online uh, data collection that had allowed for that. And so they didn't really think they were trading anything for these now free services. But as many people have now understood, if you're not paying anything for the service, you're you the, product. the product. Right. And, yeah. and, so, and so it's very interesting that that new relationship with handing over my digital information uh, to uh, different entities now being kind of my entry ticket to being allowed to exist in these online spaces. Yeah, I think there are, it, it strikes me that it's as plausible, at least, that there's a, there's a whole bunch of kids who just don't really see that as an issue at all. I mean, to, to an extent, that ship, is, that ship is a dot on the horizon, right? You know, I mean, I, you know those obligatory things that you have to click to accept cookies, otherwise the website won't talk to you. Um, you, you, you I mean, you, everyone just everyone just clicks OK, right? And all it really does is drive home how often you're relinquishing yet another little bit of your personal digital footprint to whoever the data brokers are. Um, periodically, I start reading through one of these reports on what the data brokers actually do, and then what happens when your data gets aggregated, and just how just how finely it can be sliced, and how how minutely it's possible to track you, me, me personally, Mary Harrington down based on based on what's in that. And um, once it's all being collected and, and sliced and aggregated, uh, and I think well. There's, there's a bit of me which is tempted to think, well, I, I, I guess that ship has kind of sailed. But then it's also just like, it, it's just so, so horrific. It's, it's just so horrific to think about how, how much of that, how much of that is just kind of a done deal. You know, in a sense, in a sense, how much of me is already out there and how much of me is just irretrievably so. I mean, short of, I don't know, ch changing my name, deleting all of my accounts, you know, going dark and, you know, going off to live in the woods like Uncle Ted. I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know what what you do about it. You know, if you if you participate, then you're just clicking OK on that little thing all day, and all it all it really does is tell you how much of yourself you're giving away. It doesn't, you know, there's no there's no meaningful consent there at all because at the end of the day, if you don't participate, you just to to a significant extent in in the public square as it is now, you just don't exist. So interesting that you brought up uh, Uncle Ted there, because obviously uh, with the death of Ted Kaczynski. Uh, this week, a lot of people have been taking an interest in what he had said or uh, having debates about the legacy of his thought and, and kind of what he uh, what he had put out there as, as in relation to kind of industrial society. Now, d just to clarify for YouTube and everyone, uh, you know, we're, we're obviously not going to be promoting Ted Kaczynski's actions, his political actions here. Clearly but, not an endorsement. However, right. you've already used the phrase, you've the word over-socialized. So we were, we were kind yeah, of already so, there, right? So we already knew we were coming here. Uh, right. But, but you know, I, I listened to uh, the old manifesto this week on uh, Skeptical Waves. Shout out Skeptical Waves here, which is kind of ironic, I guess, listening to a manifesto against uh, technological advancement in society on a YouTube channel read to me by a robot. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But it is interesting because a lot of what you have talked about, you know, for people who don't know, kind of kind of the thesis of or one of the theses of your of your book, Feminism Against Progress, is that feminism was more of a movement about our relationship to technology than it really was about some kind of ideological transformation. 
Yeah, I don't believe in progress. Progress is not a thing. It was a, but but it was a often legitimate response to the way family life changed under the industrial conditions, which it did in a huge number of ways. Right, and so th this is, of course, also uh, in many ways Ted Kaczynski's uh, kind of foundational understanding is that the technology, uh, the the society's interaction with technology and progress is kind of way more important than its actual political systems. These are the things that are going to shape people far more. And so as we kind of look at these problems, many of which are, are linked back to, again, you know, the, the need of people to conform to a system, the, the, the constant uh, surveillance, the con constant interaction with bureaucratic management, the constant need uh, to kind of homogenize uh, and, and reduce people into kind of a managerial state so techniques can routinely produce uh, you know, pre-described pre outcomes. With that necessity, uh, it becomes very difficult, I think, for people then to think about what comes next. Because as you pointed out, you know, women aren't just putting their children into daycare because they really want to. They're putting children into daycare right after they have them because our system requires them to. Right. And, and, and that then puts children into this state where they are immediately being put, you know, raised by bureaucrats and being conditioned to conform to a larger centralized management. And I think people have a hard time then looking at what's going on and saying, how could we possibly escape this without at some point recognizing that industrial, you know, asian, you know, the, 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 that kind of the advancement has been a disaster in, in many ways to kind of social relationships. Right. I mean, I, I think for I think one of the reasons nobody ever stops to contemplate the the social the, the social conditioning effect of daycare, um, so in particular, I, I think it's it's striking that very that it's striking how few on the right are willing to contemplate the social conditioning impact of daycare, even as that militates actively against a great many conservative desires. You know, not least the inculcation of you know the, the spirit of liberty, or you know even even fairly bog standard right liberal concerns. Um, for the for the straightforward reason that if you removing kids from daycare means means removing a solid thirty percent of your workforce from the market, and and that's just somewhere where where your average normicon is not willing to go, you know, and they'll and they'll dress it up as women's autonomy and you know various sort of nice sounding nice sounding empowering uh, thing platitudes like that, but fundamentally fundamentally it's it's a significant chunk of your workforce gone. Um, and, and for what, you know, some some indefinable gain that you might or might not obtain 20 years down the line. You know, is that is are you going to be able to sell that to to, to any of your voters and or investors or supporters? Unlikely, to be honest, unlikely. And so again and again and again, when when, when these. Poly yeah, it, it's just it, it's the third rail fundamentally. It's the, and, and it's it's it gets justified. You know, we tell a different story about it on the left and on the right. But fundamentally, it's about. It's about the liquefaction of family, um, you know, and the, and it's reordering to the market, and and no and nobody wants to look at the downstream impacts on the on the people who are least who have who have the least choice of all in in the mix, which is kids, and nobody wants to look at what happens to them to twenty years down the line when they're adults, and I think yeah, it might take another twenty years for people to figure out that there is actually a marked difference, but I think eventually in, enough we'll have enough data, and somebody will have the balls to pass it, and somebody will have the balls to do the studies. I mean, I, I, I think it's it, for for example, it would be empirically researchable to, to 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 establish whether or not there's any kind of a link between high uh, an ex, a high an experience of a lot of early. Day, early infant daycare and extreme dysregulated wokeness by the time you get to young adulthood, which, which seems to me completely plausible because actually, I mean, I, I trained once upon a time as a psychotherapist. Um, and, you know, we did, we, we did a fair amount on attachment and uh, disordered attachment and so on and so forth. And to me, just leaving us, never mind what they're saying, never mind, you know, what's coming out of their mouths in terms of, you know, third, third rate, third-rate kind of cult platitudes. Um, what, what, what those kids mostly look like to me is, is the, the product of long-term low-key neglect, like at a, at, at a like long-term low-key like nurture deprivation, maternal deprivation fundamentally. Um, and, and that might seem counterintuitive when we're talking about children in wealthy families, but again, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of wealthy families have, have both parents working. 
um, because otherwise how, how are they ever going to afford you know house number three and, and the college bills etc um so I, I think it's 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 eminently plausible that there's a there's a raft there's a, there's a raft of extremely neglected children at the top and at the bottom um effectively you know, emotionally emotionally under under mothered i think you could say radically under mothered children pretty much across the spectrum but 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 probably concentrated at the top and the bottom for different reasons um and 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 that's that's part of what's driving for example the george floyd riots but also the you know the the, the regular chimpanzees at universities um and, and nobody wants to look at this well across the political spectrum because it just stands on it stands on too many toes well like, like yeah like you said it 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 really strikes at kind of uh, some fundamental pillars that would if if taken out would kind of disassemble uh, what people look at as, as kind of our current social situation. I think you're right that this is, th this is a huge problem, but I'm, I'm less optimistic about the possibility that data will, will shift anyone's mind. We, we really yeah, don't, right. I, I just, we don't suffer from a kind of a lack of social science data on a lot of issues that just don't shift anything. You know, uh, we, we, in fact, we regularly have to bury social science to make sure that we can kind of continue on uh, with the kind of the delusions we, we've kind of drawn around certain subjects. Uh, and so I think it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I think you're right that the data will bear this out. I think, I think it absolutely will. But I just don't think that'll shift people's opinion because like, we're, well, we're going to shift our mode of production. Are people going to start taking more responsibility? Are people going to start accounting for things that can't be put on spreadsheets? I think you're really going to have to see some some things really hit, hit the wall hard before uh, anyone kind of learns those lessons, unfortunately. Uh, but but they certainly will come, which I guess kind of leads me to my next question: Can people, or or I guess uh, well, you know, two two levels of this: Can individuals make the, these decisions, and can societies make these decisions? Can they look at where we're at, see kind of the terrible implications? of where we're going and actively choose to walk away from certain pieces of technology, certain uh, things that they think of as liberating, but have, you know, kind of put us on the course to where we are now. I mean, the things that you're talking about would, would talk, would basically the changes that would need to be made would impact both left and right uh, goals in very negative ways. The left would have to acknowledge that, you know, women can't have it all that they you know that that there are responsibilities and ties that have to exist um and that certain sacrifices in autonomy have to be made and the right would have to admit that uh you know there will be an economic uh impact for this kind of stuff sacrifices have to be made gdp can't be the driver of all decisions and they'd have to admit that we have to dedicate a certain segment of our society to actually producing the type of families that we pretend like we want to see. I probably share your pessimism. Uh, that would be that is the short answer. Yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't happened yet, put it that way. But but that said, I mean, cultures change slowly and then all at once, right? You know, and I I, I think it, my my hunch is it will change. Probably not in our lifetimes. You know, you and I will still be raging about all of this in in. 20, 30, 40 years time, you know, <laughs> if there's an internet still at that point. I mean, if there isn't, you know, we might be, we'll, we'll be somewhere quite different anyway. Um, but cultures change slowly and then all at once. Um, and what's, what's most likely um, will be that it just becomes rapidly apparent that the, the only people, the only, the only subsets of the culture which are capable of reproducing themselves in any meaningful way are the ones who figured out how to, how to buck some of these trends. Um, and how to how to how to trans how to transmit healthy personhood of some kind and healthy healthy social and child rearing norms down the generations and that's not going to be everybody you know certainly not on current trends it's not going to be everybody um, but but chances are it'll be some people and and those those will be hopefully at least those those will be the the memes that 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 perpetuate with the genes. You know, the, I mean, you know, there's, there's a whole a whole load of bumps, and you know, there's a whole there there are too many variables really to be able to predict with any conf, with any confidence. But 
I think eventually people will figure it out and they'll figure out that actually there are there are limits that you can't go beyond either in the name of personal autonomy or in the name of making the line go up. And that, in fact, we're pretty much at those limits already. I mean, that's that's certainly my read on where we are now. You know, we've, we've reached the point where, where, where we're trying we're trying to bust out of the limits of we're, we're trying to sever the link between mothers and babies, which is just nuts. I mean, the, the, the idea that you can do that and still be producing people. I mean, the the the, the point the point where you're, where you're producing human gametes which don't have a mother or a father, um, and they're like, oh no no no, of course we're not going to turn those into actual babies. I mean, this was a headline this week. It's probably I don't know. It's probably crossed your radar. Yeah. Yeah, they've they figured out how to how to create synthetic embryos that would that, that, that do not originate from from the gametes of of live human men and women. And they're like, oh, we're just going to create them for experiments, and we're not going to grow actual babies from them. Honest, we're not. And you're like, well. Okay, but eventually somebody will because you know there's there's there's, there's going to be somebody who'll do it just because they can, and then I mean who, we can only speculate at what what it what it would be like growing up as a person with literally no mother and father even at the genetic level, um, but 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 the, there comes a point where you where, where you slice you slice human normal down to the point where you're just not a, you're not a human anymore and you're you're not producing humans and you're not what you, what you're you're working with something something much more protein. Um, and, and I think I think we're pretty much already at that limit, you know, in a in a functional social at the functional social level, when it comes to dismantling the, the basic givens of the human of the of the intimate social fabric, certainly. Um, and and I think people are beginning to realise that the it, the that the group that pays the price is always children. You know who are who are the shoulders with least able to carry it. You know if you're if you're reordering the, the the fabric of human nature to suit adult desire, it's always children who pay the price. Event ultimately, you might say, oh, it's women, but actually, really, if you if you if, if you do the the final accounting, it's always children. You know, yeah, because they whether they're yeah. sacrificing mother love and nurture um, so that so that their, their mothers can be emancipated either to make rent or to self-actualize depending on social class or whether it's your babies who are being separated from their gestational mother at birth so they can be handed to Khloe Kardashian who then basically ignores them for for six months until she gets her head in gear or, or whatever uh, <laughs> yeah we're, the, it, it's children who pay the price yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely true because there's just no there's no accounting for what's going to happen next, especially when those kind of when those changes are are kind of in the works. Everyone just kind of assumes that children will kind of move along with it, that everything will be fine. But it, it's amazing kind of how prescient uh, uh, C.S. Lewis was in the abolition of man, just kind of looking at how social engineering would would eventually just kind of completely erase the baseline of, of human nature or it could though i think you're right that we're we're getting to the edge of that and it's weird how everyone every totalitarian regime eventually just comes to the same conclusion that we need to create motherless children it, 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 it is amazing how often that that is uh you know, the, the natural kind of evolution of the centralization of power but it's not it's not really that surprising because i mean ultimately if you want to create the kind of the kind of absolute state that, that admits of no relationships at all except that between the individual and, and the total state, then you have to you, you, you have to obliterate relationality as such, right? And and the original, the, the first and original template for relationality is the one between mother and baby. You know, that that's that's the first merged interpersonal relationship. It's it's the original one from which all of the others then then emerge and differentiate. So so of course of course you want to create motherless children because motherless children have nobody looking out for them when they're babies, so they can be formed in any way you you care to form them. Um, and they and they have no template for what being loved looks like. So you can you can ask them to do anything in return for scraps of whatever. Yeah, it's it, it stands to reason. Of course it does. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a it's a difficult thing. Again, like he said, it's a it's a bridge. It's a problem that is uh, kind of a slow moving train wreck, and no one can really create a coalition to stop it because, again, the, it attacks kind of the basis of, of of both sides. You know, the every part of the society that has a significant hold on power has every incentive to kind of completely ignore the problem, uh, despite kind of all of the the evidence that this is going to continue. 
do you see, uh, I guess we've already kind of talked about how neither of us are particularly uh, optimistic on the short-term prospects. But you this. actually have one tiny note of optimism. To oh, great. Good. Paradoxically, <laughs> paradoxically, it's mediated by technology. I should I should make it clear, I'm by no means in every way a tech skeptic. I do, I do think the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't, we, uh, Uncle Ted was wrong about that, unfortunately. So I shouldn't say, you know, I didn't say, you know, Uncle Ted was wrong. Um, he, it, we're not going to be able to unplug any of this stuff. We're not. We, you can't go back. There's no. There's no. There's no return. There just isn't. Um, but we. But but we have. We, we have to go. And the only way out is through. Um, and one. One positive development, um, actually, in in my corner of things, which is which is the women's movement. I guess one. One. One structural change, which has been brought about more than anything by the internet is that mothers get a say in feminism for pretty much the first time since since the early 20th century yeah but up to the at the point where where the the agita- where campaigning was for the vote there were a great many mothers involved but from the second wave onwards they were pretty much structurally excluded in, in you know so so much so in fact that it was the, the movement was to a great extent about being anything except a mother. I mean, Shulamith Firestone fantasized about the, the ultimate emancipation of women being the point at which gestation could happen in, in a piece of technology and thereby liberate women from, from the, the, the basic fact of being female. And I mean, she kind of got her wish, although it didn't really work out quite as emancipatory for women <laughs> as she thought it would. You know, it's, it, yeah, it, didn't, it didn't quite work out as she was expecting, but we're, we're, we're kind of mostly there. But... Um, but but one of, the, one of the things technology has done, actually, in response to the way women have been emancipated, quote unquote, more recently from even needing to be female, um, what, what, one of the one of the ma- major groups pushing back against that has been mothers, because we know perfectly, you know, anybody who's grown a grown a human in their literal entrails knows perfectly well what a woman is, right? And and we also know what the temp, you know, we also understand that basic that fundamental template for relationality, and and whereas whereas Back in the day, um, I, I remember reading a bitterly ironic piece in, an, in a radical feminist anthology from the 90s about a feminist group that, that had taken a vote on whether or not to include a creche in their women's centre. And, and the, the move had been voted down because all of the, the feminists who were mothers weren't able to show up because they had kids to look after. And that, that's the basic problem, right? Right. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a set of voices which are structurally excluded because they're just busy. Um, and th- thanks to the internet, that's just not nearly as much the case as it used to be. There are a lot of mothers who are scrolling while doing five other things, as mothers generally are, and who are tweeting and who are mobilizing. And, you know, and pretty much the entirety of the of, the, of, of Turf Island began as a as a as a room on Mumsnet. I mean, it's a great deal more than that now, and it's you know it's spawned internationally notorious figures such as Posey Parker. Yeah, but but Posey Parker was a mumsnetter. That's where she got her handle from. Yeah, and there, there's so there's an entire that and and, there, and and I see it I see it coming through. I, there's a whole a whole swathe of women who are mothers and who also think and who also take an interest in these questions and who see and who see the defence of children and the defence of women as mothers as being absolutely central. To, to the women's movement now in a way which was just structurally impossible even back in the 1990s and, I, and to me that's an incredibly positive development and it's one of the way it, the ways in which technology might be a way through as well as being a whole concatenating series of disasters yeah you, you are kind of through the other side of this thing where you know everybody was sold this lie but particularly women that there would be this progress you know there'd be this liberation uh, you, you, all bonds could be severed. All responsibilities could be taken off of your shoulders. Everything could be alienated. And what we've learned really is that that's a lie. You can completely liberate yourself from traditional bonds, but you'll simply receive a whole new set of shackles. And you'll also be, uh, you'll also lose all of the protections that those bonds once created. All of those things that you know shielded your children. Uh, shielded you uh, from, from kind of the ravages of things that maybe didn't understand once once kind of those things are gone. And so I think there is a, like you said, there is a growing ability of women who now understand the value of those things to have a voice in that discussion and to understand that, you know, taking care of women means understanding that some of these things were there for their protection. Some of those things were there for the protection of their children. Some of those things exist you know that there is no there there is no just free you know there's no such thing as a free lunch you don't just get to trade all these things in and just be completely liberated that in fact actually 
a, a more fulfilling existence might uh, happen inside certain confines. And that is, of course, again, as true for men as women, you know, men have also been lied to about, you know, you, you don't need a family, you don't need this stuff. There's all the, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, get rid of these duties and responsibilities, uh, play the field forever. You'll, you'll never, you'll never uh, end up paying any kind of cost. Uh, he was advising guys to get a vasectomy in your twenties and then spend all, all spend your life earning money and, right. and having empty sex. Right. I have no idea if anybody listens to Rollo Tomaski, but I, I looked, I was like, what? <laughs> really? But yeah, but there's no shortage of this kind of advice. And so right. I think there's, um, I think there really is, you're, you're right, that there is, the good news is that there's this opportunity for many people who have learned this lesson. And again, you see, so I think that's probably why you see, you know, on, on both sides, like you said, you see these uh, women who might have been part of the feminist movement or would have been shut out of the feminist movement now having a voice about, you know, why motherhood and these things matter. You also and, have and these guys don't fuck around. That's the other thing. You know, the, if you want, so if you want to get something done, give it to a mum who's got to get it done before before the school run. Seriously, um, yeah. I mean, America's newest hate group, Mums for Liberty. Right, that's uh, exactly right. Listening. Yeah, yeah. Lose lose your banking privileges. You're the new extremists. Congratulations. Right, You're I mean, I mean the American these Taliban. Yeah. Like, these are literally like carpooling, sandwich making. You know. Uh, Schoolgate mums is completely insane, but they're incredibly effective, and right. and because they really care, you know, they've properly got skin in the game. They understand what's at stake, and they're mums, so they get shit done. Yep, and you <laughs> also you also have this phenomenon on the other side of kind of these men's right activists or these uh, the, these pickup artist guys who are kind of get to the end of this chase and they realize. You know, they find God. They, they have a family. Like the you know, they, there's, there's just. I, I think it's, it's a pipeline a, now, isn't it? It's incredible. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a pipeline. It's a pipeline Absolutely, hundred percent. And so, yeah, you, you kind of at the bottom of this. You know, at the bottom of that, uh, uh, that bottle of red pills is kind of the final. Is kind of that final pill, which is oh, actually, a, a somewhat traditional existence with inside bonds of duty and commitment is actually the thing that will yeah, you know, give my having, life meaning having and really tested this to destruction i've right. i finally I've, I've taken the god pill and you know and now you can buy my new lecture series right, right. That's, yeah. <laughs> well i mean if you don't get to hawk it on twitter then what you know what did you even go through the life experience yeah no that's right uh, but equally you know everyone loves a story of, of redemption and sure. Yeah, no, yeah, I think I, I think yeah, they I think resonate a, because a lot of people are on these tracks. It's a, it's something that a lot of people are feeling simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think if there's if there's one positive, uh, there's a one one positive avenue. It's that it's that the mums the mums are organised and they're getting more organised, and 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 the mums know what time it is. You know, to a, a growing a growing subset of the mo of mothers know what time it is, and and are taking taking action accordingly, and and. And politicians notice pretty quickly, you know, when 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 a country's mothers are mobilized against you, you're in trouble. Because at the end of the day, mums set the moral tone, uh, not just not just for now and not just, you know, in amongst amongst communities in general, but for the next generation as well. Yeah, you know, unless you can extract their children from them at the age of two weeks and 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 you know educate them within a totalitarian in safetyist environment, obviously. But you know, to to the extent that that mothers resist that, they they should they they form the morals of the next generation. And yeah, and, and if they hate you, you're in trouble. So yeah. so you know, once once mothers begin to once once they use use the internet to mobilize, there's a there's some there's some hope, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like we, I can deal out uh, one more piece of optimism for everybody here. You know, a lot of people like to talk about elite theory. They like to say that, okay, I understand these things kind of happen top down, uh, but they don't really think about the implications. You're absolutely right that, of course, you know, a, a lot of people complain about the awful, right? The the affluent uh, white female liberal because they because they have this innate ability to kind of reinforce the standards of the society. And if the standards of the society are currently hideous and destructive then yeah it seems like these are, are your enemy but they're not your enemy these are people who are just doing their job they're, they're the they're the social antibodies of a system and yeah, so but if you historically can... that's just what women have always done where women set the moral tone i mean it's exactly. it's it's as evident in in 19th century literature and, and history as it is in the in in 20th and, and and it's yeah it's always the same picture that's just that's just what women do at scale um, and so and if you have women who are the, making the only problem is that it's ordered to the wrong, the wrong set of morals. <laughs> exactly. It, but if you can, but, social ones. 
But if you can get that flip, you know, if you can get the movement you're talking about where mothers realize, oh, wait, no, this is terrible for me. And this is terrible for my children. And this is something that I have to work against because if I don't, it's going to destroy the future of, of my children. Then all of a sudden you can get that uh, that change in a very dynamic way because of, of the uh, thing you're talking about here. Yeah. And I think what what needs to be spelled out again and again and again is that it's always children who pay the price. Absolutely, without fail. And I, you know, we, we just need to tell that story. We just need to show the receipts. I mean, it's, it's clear enough to anybody who's paying attention, but, that, but that, that message just needs to be very much clearer and very much more front and centre. It's always the children who pay the price. You know, when you set out to destroy human nature, you know, the, the, it's the littlest shoulders who bear the biggest load. And that's just not how it should be. Absolutely. All right, guys. So before we move over to the questions of the people, Mary, can you let everyone know where to find your stuff, where they can find your book, everything they need? Sure. The, the book is Feminism Against Progress. I imagine most of your viewers are in the United States. There it's published with Regnery Books. Um, I can be found at Reactionary Feminist on Substack or at Moving Circles on Twitter. And I'm the contributing editor at Unheard, which I think some Americans at least read. It's a daily current affairs and politics uh, digital magazine based in the United Kingdom where I write a weekly column. Excellent. All right, guys, let's go ahead and check out your questions. We got one here from Creeper Weirdo for $5. Thank you very much, sir. A while back, I told my younger brother about the site Redux and that there is such a thing as reactionary feminism. What a difference some years make. Yeah, that, that would have sounded a very odd thing, I'm sure, to, to most people. It still is, I guess, a little bit uh, to, to some people. But I think, that's, again, I think that's kind of the, uh, I think that was a very clever uh, turn of phrase uh, for your book title, because it really does give people an understanding of looking at female well-being from a position uh, that many people would have understood perhaps as reactionary, but I think is really essential if, if you're going to address the problems that women and men are facing today. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if the progressive project is just making life measurably and obviously worse for the majority of women, then the, the obvious place for a feminist to stand is against progress. I mean, duh. <laughs> I mean, re reactionary feminism, actually, it kind of started as a meme on my Twitter bio. And then I had to, I had to kind of back rationalize what it was that I actually meant by it, because they, they, a, a very serious magazine wrote to me and said, well, what do you mean by it? So then I had to work it out. And that kind of, yeah, the, so I, actually, I kind of wrote my manifesto backwards. But I, I mean, as a general principle, meme first and ask questions later, I think is exactly. a good one. It's the yes. right way to do it. 100%. This, this is a war of memes. Don't let anyone lie to you. This yeah. is not a war of essays. This is not debate club. This is a war of memes. It's mad, actually. I've, I've just like the, the concentration level. You, know, you, you come out with a meme and you're like, yeah, that's funny. I don't know what it means yet, but it's funny. And then, and then you realize that if you, were tried, if you tried to explain to somebody in like normal paragraphs what that meant, it would take at least four or 5,000 words. <laughs> but no, it's, it's just, so I'm just going to leave it as reactionary feminism until I can, yeah. As someone who also created a meme and now has a book title after it, I understand exactly. Did, did you call it type the sign? Huh? Uh, no, that well, no, that's the other the other meme I had, but the the total state, you know, I the, uh -huh. the total state started on a me as a meme on Twitter, and now it's uh, that's I had the, to, I, yeah, I made it, myself write a book about it. So it's yeah. the way, and then and then you you realize that explaining it takes fifty thousand words. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think that's everybody there. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. Of course, make sure that you're checking out everything that Mary is doing. Always a fascinating take over at her Substack. And if this is your first time here, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Orm McIntyre podcast on your favorite podcast platform. When you do that, make sure to leave a rating or review. It helps with all the algorithm magic. Thanks for coming by, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.